Well, good morning and welcome, Grace Hill. We're so glad that you could join us uh, today via the live stream. Thank you so much to Evan and to Mel for leading us well in worship and Happy New Year. Uh, again, we're glad that you're joining us on the live stream today. Obviously, we're not meeting together in person this Sunday, but as we continue to wrap up the holidays and head into the new year, man, we hope that you just had an encouraging time being with friends, being with family, and, and we also, man, we definitely want to acknowledge that the holidays, for some of us, they're great. For some of us, they might be hard, and so our prayer for you as a church is that the Lord just met you, that He encouraged you, that as we looked at the advent of Christ and what that means and the peace and the hope that he brings, um, that God just did a special work to encourage you and to comfort you and that he continues to do that as we head into a new year. So just know that we as a staff, we love you and we are praying for you in that way. Um, But I'm excited for our text today because I think that it's a really helpful passage as we move into a new year, 2022. It's here, right? A new year with fresh beginnings and resolutions and things that we just desire to see happen in our lives, things that we desire for God to do in us. These are all good things, things that we hope in for the future and for our lives and what the Lord might have for us. And what I love about Psalm 90, which is a prayer of Moses, by the way, is that it is, it is such an appropriate prayer for ourselves as we enter into a new year. I believe that this prayer can really act as an anchor for our souls as we step out into a world that is going to scream at us, here's what's going to satisfy you, right? A world that says, here's what's going to bring you fulfillment in the new year. A world that says, try this, do that, fast from this, make this resolution, check out this workout plan, try this diet, purchase that product, plan a trip to that exotic location, all fine things. But man, we are inundated with this, aren't we? And it's easy for us to get caught up into this as as looking to these things for our ultimate satisfaction. We're easily carried into this stream of thought where we look to the world, to the things of the world, or even just our own selves, our own willpower to find satisfaction. And I believe that Jesus, that our our Father who loves us, is not going to let us get away with this. He's going to call us, His children, call us, to something better, to the way that leads to life. And so in unpacking and breaking up in this text, what we see in Psalm 90, I believe, is a model for how we are to view God and also to view ourselves. We see this in verses 1 to 11. And then how in light of who God is, how it is that we are to respond to Him rightly, how it is that we approach Him. Because as we understand God and as we understand ourselves rightly and then respond to him and follow and approach him in the way that he calls us to, he will bring satisfaction to our souls. And this is something that we as a church body, right, this is why we gather. We want to remind ourselves of these things. We don't, we don't apply these truths just in isolation. We want to encourage one another in this. So let me read our psalm for today. Psalm chapter 90. Smack dab in the middle of your Bible there. And this is a prayer, a prayer of Moses. I love this. It says this, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight, 
are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, but in the evening it fades and it withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So... Teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So, Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the gift of this psalm, of this prayer of Moses. We pray that it would be instructive for us, that it would point us to you, who you are, your nature, who we are in light of you, and then, God, how it is that we respond to who you are, how it is that we approach you, how it is that we can trust you, be with you, how it is that you use us as you establish the work of our hands, Father God. So we love you, Lord. Be with us now. Speak to our hearts. Amen. So, man, I love this psalm. And, and we can really view it primarily in, in two primary sections. And the first section is what we're going to be in is in verses uh, 1 to 11, where we see the Lord painting really this contrast between who he is and who we are. Who he is and who we are. Through, through the statements that Moses makes in his prayer, we see with extreme clarity the essence of who God is and, again, who we are in comparison to him. We see who God is and we see who we are. So let's jump right in, verses 1 and 2. It says this again. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So this is just a big statement, man. Big statement about God's eternality, his power, his existence being eternal, and yet how we as his children, by faith, how we make our dwelling or our habitation in him, and how God has always brought his children in every generation, I love that language, into himself. He brings us near to himself. One of the, the images that the Bible uses again and again is that of a mother hen drawing in her chicks. And it even says that, that um, she pulls them under the shadow of her wing, her, her children, her chicks. So we see this incredible statement about the eternal God and how he lovingly and caringly relates to his children. Right? God is our protector, our sovereign. The strength of our life and our existence and the refuge of every generation, we'll see that language again later, every generation that trusts in him and follows him. Verse 3. Then it says, You return man to dust, 
and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. So, okay, now we, we see this eternal, all-creating God now interacting with man. So as the book of Genesis tells us, uh, we know that man was created out of the dust. Man is born of dust. And so God alone, we see right here, God alone has the power and the control to create from dust, but then also to return man to the dust. So we see that God alone has power over life, all life. And this statement about God returning us to dust is really significant, especially in light of verse 1 and 2, because in verse 1 and 2, we saw that God alone gives and sustains, right? He creates the world. He is our habitation. He strengthens us. But also verse 3 and 4, he can also end life. It says, return to dust, O children of man. So it's so important that we see that he is, he is eternal and timeless, and we are born of dust. Notice that, right? We're, we're not like him. Then in verse 4, we're reminded of God's eternality again, that, that a thousand years to God is but a day to the Lord, right? We are, as we know, we are bound by time, but he is not. We are made of dust, but he is eternally existent. Through this prayer, Moses is helping us to understand truths about God and ourselves. He is laying a foundation here now that will then inform how we later on respond to God as we're going to see at the end of Psalm chapter 90. Verse 5, it's a little heavier. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities or our sins before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Okay, so now the, the passage shifts. It gets a little heavier. We see the Lord's power and how he deals with us, how he interacts with us, and what occurs when his righteousness comes into contact with unrighteousness. And it's just assumed in the prayer, this is Moses' prayer, right? Since Moses, too, like us, is just a man, so he, being a normal guy, he experiences hardship, sin, failure, and the brokenness of a sin-filled world. So the passage, it gets heavier here in that it does begin to more clearly speak to sin and to what occurs when God's righteousness and purity comes into contact with unrighteousness, our unrighteousness even. So we're beginning to see somewhat of a tension here in Moses' prayer. God's righteous justice, we see it here against evil, but it's, it's also a good thing because as we'll soon see, this is what ultimately leads to our hope, as heavy as it is. And God being the one who rescues us and who delivers us from sin and evil. Right? Look what it says back in, in verses eight, uh, verse 8. It says, He exposes our iniquity, our sin, our hearts. He sees everything. And this is, I mean, that's scary. That's, that's terrifying. But it's actually a great thing because it's only after He exposes us that He gets to work changing us, making us new, right? Revealing um, the things in our hearts that need to be dealt with, making us righteous, giving us hearts that love and that are modeled after his own heart. I can't help but always think about this with uh, my two sons, Levi and Remy, when they come to me and if they've done something wrong, they're always so hesitant to 
admit it as any child is, and they're scared and they don't want to get uh, disciplined, whatever it is. Um, so coming to them and for them to confess, it's scary, right? When what they've done is now out in the open. They don't, they don't want to do that. But once it's there, once they willingly bring it to me, then I can speak into it, right? Then I can lovingly address it. I can encourage them in that moment. There's grace that is applied to them into that situation. And as we'll see in just a minute, this is, this is such a godly and a holy moment when God's children bring to him their struggles and their sin. When we bring our, as it says, our secret sins into the light of his presence, this is precisely where God works. It's important that we see that here. Moses confesses this. Verse 9. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life, they're 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Man, again, heavy verses, right? You can just feel the weight in Moses' voice as he, as he prays to God. It's, it's, just, it's like a confession. It's almost like Moses is confessing his own state, um, but even the state of just God's people before the Lord, right? He says, Lord, the days are short, but they're troublesome. We're here today, gone tomorrow, and because of sin, we return to dust, right? Remember God's righteousness coming into contact with man's wickedness? It's heavy. As Moses confesses and acknowledges who he is in the light of God's holiness. I think it's good at this point to ask the question, man, why all this talk about God's power and our weakness? About how he is eternal and we are not. Why is this so important and why is Moses going to great lengths to establish and make clear, here's who God is, here's who we are. Why? I believe that it's only in this context of understanding who God is and who we are, his righteousness and our brokenness and our neediness for him, that the end of this psalm and how we respond to God makes sense. It's in light of who God is and who we are that we see the, the appropriateness of the response of Moses and how he approaches God. And, and I believe that Moses, again, here is, is a model for us for how we should be ourselves approaching God. God. And especially as we enter into a new year, again, with new resolutions, with fresh starts, fresh beginnings, this is a fantastic model for how we should be approaching God this year, that we might draw near to him, that we might abide in him and press into his grace and be transformed by his spirit, that we might make him our dwelling place, back to verse 1. And posture ourselves before God in a way that enables us to hear from Him, to receive what He has for us, and to follow, to allow ourselves to be led by Him. Because grace, so if we don't, man, if we don't every day see God as Moses did, if we don't actively fight to behold Him and thus see ourselves rightly, right? As we know God, we're going to know ourselves and who we are better then we're not going to respond to him the way that we're called to. We're not going to approach him and abide in him in the way that's going to lead to life and joy. We're not going to hunger for him until we see our need for him. We're not going to hunger for him until we see our need for him. So, 
how is it that we respond and approach our Creator, our Lord, in light of what we've seen? I think Moses models for us five ways that we are to approach God in these next few verses. And so it's my hope and my prayer that as we move into the new year, uh, that we might adopt these principles um, and that they might inform how we regularly view, approach, and pursue God. So let's check these out. We'll pick it up in verse 12. It says this, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. So there's this plea to the Lord, right? Help us. Teach us. Lord, give us wisdom. He's asking, may we learn to number our days. May we remain sober. May we live in such a way that takes into account the short time that we have here, right, as we live just on the edge of eternity. Lord, help us to number our days so that we don't waste time and squander the lives you've given us. Lord, help us to number our days that we might live in light of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us, serving and loving others and loving God, of course. So Moses here is specifically asking for wisdom, but I actually think that the deeper principle for us to take away here is that Moses is expressing his need for God, his need for God, right? He's saying, Lord, I need wisdom. I don't have it apart from you. You have to teach me. You have to show it to me. I can't just do it. So our first principle is this. As we approach God, we express our need for him. As we approach God, we express our need for him. So because we've seen that God is God and we are not, and it's just easy, it it then becomes easy and natural for us to say, God, help, help me. We approach God with a spirit of humility and neediness as his children. And this really, man, this this is step one, I think, to seeing the Lord work and show up in your life. If you don't think you need God, then I just don't have to tell you. I mean, that's not a Christian idea, right? That's not a biblical way of living and viewing yourself and God. If we want to meet with and encounter the living God, then every day has to start with, Lord, help, help me. As we approach God, we express our need for him. Verse 13, Moses says, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. And so the second principle that we see here in the scripture is that as we approach God, we should have a longing for his presence. As we approach God, we should have a longing for his presence, right? Emmanuel, God with us. We just got done looking at this because it was Christmas. God wants to be with us and our souls were made for it. And I think what's so crazy to me about about Moses' response here is that we just saw Moses a few verses earlier talking about God's wrath and his hatred of sin and his justice against the wicked, which is us, right? That's us, because we have hearts full of sin. And so you hear all that and you think that, man, maybe Moses would be a little apprehensive about approaching this all-powerful, wrathful God. But it's quite the opposite. Instead, here, we actually see Moses' love and desire for the Lord, right? Because he's, he's saying, Lord, how long till you come back? He desires for the Lord to be with him, to be near to him. And so I believe that just seeing these inter- this interplay here is so important for us because Moses must know something fundamental about the nature of God where even though we sin and mess up and make mistakes, and yes, God rightly deals with that sin, we can still approach him in faith and even with affection, knowing that he's a loving father. 
this crazy dichotomy that we see in scriptures where God is holy and he hates sin and he deals with it and yet we can come to him. Yet we can approach him because he first approached us, right, with what Jesus did in the gospel. And when we confess and when we come to him, he meets us where we are. So as we approach God, we should have a longing for his presence. Verse 14, probably my favorite one. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. So a little bit of a rabbit trail here to set this up. Um, in Hebrew, the word for the number seven is Shiva. Uh, and it's just a number that is loaded with significance in the Bible. For example, God creates the world and man in seven days, as many of us know. Um, so, so to the Hebrew mind, the number seven represents uh, this idea of, of completeness or, or balance. So if you imagine, I've heard this example given, if you imagine maybe seven dots or seven marbles just lined up linear in a row, you basically have three over here, three over here, and then one in the middle. So it's this picture of a balance, of completion. Seven was also understood as a number of perfection or fulfillment. And we see this a lot in the book of Revelation where much of the prophecies that are to take place are connected to the number seven. So when the ancient Hebrews heard the number seven, they also thought of prophecy being fulfilled and even perfection that would exist in God's eternal kingdom. Back to the creation account, we also see the Lord resting on the seventh day, which is huge in that the seventh day inaugurated the Sabbath, which was a day of rest, but also this idea of stopping Shabbat, the word Hebrew word literally uh, for Sabbath, literally meaning to stop, was an, a reminder to stop and to focus exclusively on the Lord. So, so an ancient Hebrew we, reader would see the number seven, and it's just so loaded, there's so much meaning, whereas when we see it, it's just a number to us. So why do I say all that? Looking at verse 14, in Psalm 90, our English translations don't actually give us the most literal translation with this specific word here. So when we translate the word satisfy into Hebrew here, we actually see the word shiva. We see the number seven. So in Hebrew, it literally reads seven us, like the number, seven us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Such a beautiful picture. Right? As English speakers, we read that and it just seems strange, it seems odd. Why it would be that the word seven was changed to satisfy, to satisfy, but to a Hebrew reader, seeing this would evoke so many emotions and feelings that the number seven carries with it in their culture and in their language. Right? When they see this, they see this idea of balance, completion, wholeness, fulfilled promises, intentionality, perfection, as well as hopeful promises to come. And so as the Hebrews approached God in worship, there was this expectation that had been so ingrained in them that it was God alone who would bring satisfaction, shiva, and wholeness to their lives. So as we approach God, we know that only His love can satisfy us. Verse 15. He says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants in your glorious power to their children. So, strange prayer. 
Moses is saying, Lord, make me glad for how you have afflicted me and for even the days that we have seen evil. And so if we stopped right there, um, yes, it would be a bit of a strange uh, prayer for Moses to pray, but he continues on. He says, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to your children. Right, so notice how the two are connected there as well. Moses can thank the Lord for difficult times because he knows that through those difficult times, the Lord is working. His glorious power is, is at work. And so he says, Lord, let us see your work. Let us see your power that you're working on behalf of your children. This is a, a faith-filled confidence that Moses has as he expresses this to the Lord. And I just can't, can't help but think that years of walking with the Lord and gaining wisdom have taught Moses that it is in the hardship, it is in the difficult places that the Lord meets us, that he ministers to us, and that it's in these places where his grace is truly felt and experienced, right? The Lord has done such a work in his heart and in Moses' life and matured him so that he can now say, God, man, I thank you for the difficult seasons because I've seen your faithfulness in them and continue to allow me to see them, verse 16, your mighty works on my behalf for your glory and for my good. So our principle here is this. As we approach God, we know that he works all things for good. He works all things for good. And I also love how this just connects back to verse 8 as well, right? Even though he sees our iniquities and our sin, which is terrifying, we can have confidence. We can now celebrate the work that he does in exposing our hearts because he alone can redeem and can transform and can work and change his children. But again, often this all happens within the context of, of growing us, of stretching us, of difficult situations where he meets us and strengthens us as Moses acknowledges. Moses asked the Lord that his power and works would be seen, not just by those who currently serve God, but also by their Children, we see that generational language again like we saw back in verse 1. Lord, may we be faithful to see your mighty works and may our children's children also see your mighty works as we pass on your promises and your truths to them. As we approach God, we know that he works all things for good. And as we wrap up, I love this ending, verse 17. It's really really like a benediction uh, that Moses gives at the end of his prayer. It says this, So let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So our last principle is this. As we approach God, we can anticipate the work that he will do through us. We anticipate the good, incredible work that he can do through our lives the Lord promises to establish and to strengthen the calling that he has placed on our lives, whatever that may look like. He has promised to go before us and to pave the way for whatever he has called us to. He gives each one of us strengths and giftings, right, to be used for him, for others. And Moses know that God, knows that God will be faithful to establish us and to use us wherever he has placed us. Moses is looking to the future. He's hopeful about what God will do through him, but also, and I would even say more importantly, the work that will be done through God's 
people who will come after him for generations and generations to come. Moses, right, he zooms this out for us so that we can see this full picture, the full scope of what God is doing, not just in his life, but in the lives of so many other people who would follow after God as he strengthens their work. As we approach God, we anticipate the work that God will do through us. And you know, this is why I love um, this psalm, Psalm 90, so much. It's such a great prayer as we head into a new year, as we've said. And so in light of this psalm, here's what, here's what my prayer is. It, is. it is, Lord, in 2022, establish the work of our hands. May we remember these truths and these promises about you so that we might have wisdom, so that we might number our days and be strengthened to do the work, the gospel work that you have prepared for us. He will do it. He will complete it. And then church, we exhort one another in this daily, right? As often as we gather, even now online, we encourage one another to look to God, to behold him for who he is, to be in awe of him, but then to respond to him by confessing our need for him, by longing for his presence, knowing that he alone can satisfy, and knowing that he alone works all things for good as we anticipate the good work that he will do through us, through his church through even you. In 2022, the world in your flesh is going to try to to lead you astray, to tell you otherwise in terms of what satisfies. Don't listen to it. Instead, approach him in boldness. Come to him in humility with, with a sense of just expectation that he will establish the work of our hands. So as we wrap up now, One really quick application that I'd love for you guys to do as you're in your homes watching this online, I'd love for you to take a pen and a piece of paper or even a card, and I'd love for you just to write down, I think we're going to put this on the slide for you there, Um, write down a couple things. Write down Psalm 90 up at the top, maybe write the year 2022, and here's what I'd love for you guys to write out is, is this. Again, it should be on the screen. As I approach the Lord today, and then some bullets, I need him. My soul longs for his presence. Only his love can satisfy. He works all things for good. And I will anticipate the work that God will do through me. Maybe take a minute um, as I'm praying or as we wrap up uh, just to write those down. And here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to take that card, that little piece of paper, and put it on your bedside, put it in the bathroom, in your kitchen, wherever it is that you tend to spend time with God daily in your meditation and prayer. But put it right there so that you can see it. So all throughout 2022, you can be reminded that this is how we approach God, right? As we need him, as we long for him, and he satisfies and he works for our good, and we continue to anticipate the work that he does as he strengthens our hands and uses us for his purposes. So do that. Put that in a special place in your home. Let me pray for us now. Father, thank you for this day. I even thank you for the experiences that Moses had, which were so hard and so trying, that we now have his prayer, you, to act as a model for us on how we approach you, how we pray, how we view you, how we see you, God, how we press into you. Help us to do this. And let this be just a firm anchor. Let this be something that we just 
a foundation that we stand upon all throughout this next year. God, so that we might be equipped for the work that you have for us, but that we might also be satisfied in you. And Father, we want to encourage one another in this as a church body, knowing that it's hard to remember these things. The distractions of the world pull us away, and so may we just long for you, for your presence, knowing that you alone can satisfy. So we love you, and would you inform our praise and our singing now as we respond in worship, as we respond in gratitude. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.